on today's podcast, Tape 27. We Are Ever So Clean by Blossom Toes and The Savage Resurrection by The Savage Resurrection. Trust the Wizards present Robert Pollard's Guide to the Late 60s. Before going on tour with his band, Guided by Voices, in 2001, Robert Pollard recorded his favourite records onto 62 double-sided cassettes. Music from 1966 to 1971, from the best-known bands of the era to obscure, unheard-of psychedelic curios. The Wizards are on a mission to listen to and explore every groove. Kicker and Chorizo invite you to turn off your mind, relax and float downstream as you listen to Robert Pollard's guide to the late 60s. Okay, well, before we, we get started today, uh, Chorizo, I, I have some news. Um, and it won't surprise you that uh, this wonderful podcast of ours is actually influencing people around the world. Um, and by around the world, I mean one bloke uh, in, I think, Canada. Um, and I apologise if he's not in Canada, but I think he's in Canada, who has a, a radio show uh, called the Pollard, Pollard Power Hour, um, and it's on Rockin' the Suburbs Radio. Yeah. Uh, his, his name is Scott Parks, and, uh, and he got in touch to say how he, he loves the show. You know, like we get a lot of mail like yeah, that, don't yeah, we? Yeah, we do. Yeah. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, he, he got he got in touch and to say that he's going to have his next radio show, which is being recorded tomorrow as we speak, is going to be a, a, a playlist of some of the songs that we've talked about already. Um, he's describing it as being volume one, which does suggest that there, there may well be a volume two uh, and more. So let's hope so. Um, obviously, you won't be able to listen to it live now because we haven't told anyone about it um but ordinarily you can do it's on a sunday uh at five o'clock p.m uk time um and you can find it on suburbsradio.com um but it's also archived to mixcloud and uh, the show that he's recording on sunday uh, will be found at mixcloud.com forward slash rts radio um and, uh, yeah, we, I, su- I suggest that, you, that everybody who listens to this listens to that. Well, I'm looking forward to tuning in. Thanks, Scott. Um, yeah. Yeah. Excellent. And, of course, Scott, being a man of great taste, mm-hmm. uh, he's also asked me to uh, put together a, a playlist, a future playlist for him, uh, of um, Guided by Voices songs. So look out for that. You'll, you'll have a lot of fun doing that, won't you? That's, that's... Uh, well, I already am having a lot of fun doing yeah. that, actually, yeah. Is there, yeah. Is there kind of like a... A classification, or is it just generally just? Well, I've I've come up with a theme, but I'm ah. I'm keeping it under my hat okay. at the moment. Excellent. Right then, should we, we talk about a couple time. of albums from the sixties? So the first album we're going to be talking about is the debut album by Blossom Toes, which is called "We Are Ever So Clean," which is thought by many to be some of something of a, a pop psych classic. Certainly a lost pop psych classic um, sort of merging um, flower power and British acid pop together Um, it was released in 1967 um, and produced by Giorgio Gamelski who you will know um, discovered the Rolling Stones um, and the Yardbirds so quite a big name producer Um, and the band is uh, or was well yes was uh, Brian Belshaw on bass Jim Cregan on guitar, Brian Godding on keyboards and vocals, and Kevin Westlake on drums, who were initially the 
the Ingos, <clears throat> who played quite a few gigs um, in Germany and, and France, I think. Um, but then by the time they came back to the UK, um, they were then the Blossom Toes of late 66. Um, and then they recorded mid-1967. And they played a number of festivals and uh, it was sort of promoted on uh, Marmalade Records. Um, they had a single out. Um, and then they had some some sort of radio gigs and all that sort of stuff, radio sessions. Um, but basically, they they did one more album which didn't do anything, and then they they split up. Right. But this, this is this, the single was uh, a cover of "I'll Be Your Baby Tonight," the Bob Dylan song, right? Well, before that, they released "What on Earth" as a single. Oh, okay, okay. So that is um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's and then the second single which came out after the album was "I'll Be Your Baby Tonight." Yeah, which came out in 1968, March 68, which is when I was born. So perhaps it was uh, appropriate. You were a baby tonight. The the record itself, <laughs> yes, yes. I'll be your baby tonight. Very accurate. Um, and the the album itself quite hard to get hold of. Sells for huge amounts of money, which is why I've got a CD version of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the CD version has some nice notes at the beginnings so of. Um, Pen written, handwritten by uh, by Brian Godding, sort of mid two thousands, and I particularly like this this line in it, and it gives you a feel for the album where he talks about um, how shocked he was really to be in a position of being a rock star, and he says, um, you know, we had no idea that we'd be singing about washing machines, budgery gars, frozen dogs, and balloons, but as fate would have it, there we were. Well, let's let's jump straight in with the washing machine thing. Because, um, <laughs> Uh, the, the, the album's called We Are Ever So Clean, right? And that's yes. from a line in the song What on Earth where it says, We are ever so clean, cleaner than the top of the washing machine. Now, I yes. was playing that the other day with the two uh, junior <laughs> Chirizos around. Um, yes. And I just... Discussed... Their name, your, 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 your children are named after your first name, interestingly. That's right, yeah. We were discussing, well, the top of our washing machine, which is hidden under a kitchen worktop and it's probably the least clean part of the whole washing machine because you can't get in there to dust. And they both said that they didn't think they meant the actual top of the washing machine. They meant the top of the inside of the drum of the washing machine, Uh, which would indeed be uh, very clean. So, um, yeah, yeah. that's that's my first observation. Well, interesting, because I I heard that as the tub on a washing machine. Ah, maybe, well, that would make more sense. Which makes more sense, honestly, but yeah. but maybe but I, I mean I don't know. So that was the know. single, was yeah. it? What on earth? That was the single. Yeah, yeah. Okay, it's uh, it's a strange one. It's it's very of its time. This this album, isn't it? Very <laughs> yes, very of it its. Is. It's very nineteen sixty seven. Yes, um, and it's got that that whole thing that it seems like everybody was doing at this time. You know, with um, you know the Kinks doing that sort of dedicated follower of fashion and. The Beatles and yeah. the Stones, they all had a little flirt with doing yeah. sort of silly, daft, Edwardian, Noel Cowardy type songs. <laughs> yes. And there's there's a yeah. few of these on here, isn't there? And there is. I have to say, I've got very little time for those songs. <laughs> but when they when they stop doing that and they just play yeah. sort of straightforward psych pop, I mm. think it's all right. Yeah. It's not, yeah, I, it's I, not I, world beating, but it's all right. Yeah. yeah, I agree. And actually, the, the the silly voices in the songs I can do without. But actually, some of some of the little skits that lead into the songs are all right as well. I quite like some of those. Um, but the but the, yeah, the, the the daft singing is I, I I can do without. But I I am very keen on the the ridiculousness of the the lyrics generally. 
Um, they, they definitely get bonus points for singing about frozen dogs. I mean, I, oh, I, well, that's that's probably oh, my favourite song. I think uh, the uh, yeah. the remarkable saga of the frozen dog because it's really catchy. It's got a great yeah. chorus, um, yeah. which goes, "Would you come and tell me where you've been, you silly little frozen dog?" Um, and he goes on yeah. about how the, the the dog has got things to do, it's got places to build. Repeats that quite a lot. Yes, um, eating woolly sheep's. Uh, not, yeah, in, incorrect plurals, which is always fun. Uh, yeah. And I like the bit where he says, now he's found his true vocation in life. He's fallen in love with a lady who sings um, folk music. And it's just a really good melody, that. It reminds yeah. me of one of the dafter songs on um, The Who Sell Out or something like that. Or Yes, absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I, would, I would say that's my second favourite on the album, but definitely, definitely a one that I really like. I actually, I, I like the, the opening song as, as well, Look At Me, I'm You. Um, I think there's there's some nice uh, Beatlesy stereo sound things with one sound going from one ear to the other, which I like. Um, and uh, again, I have absolutely no idea what it's about, um, but I think that's quite a catchy tune it as well. Quite, it is quite good. I, I don't. There's a bit in the middle where it suddenly goes quiet and acoustic, and they sing about poor old Charlie, he was poorly, and I could do without that bit. But then at the end of the song, that bit comes back again. But not played quietly and acoustic, and and it's and it's really good. I have the same kind of issue with you, which I think is a really oh, yeah. good song. Um, it's it they get a really good sort of instrumental groove going right from the start with a bit of cowbell and a sort of paperback writerish kind of guitar riff. Uh, yeah. and it would be one of the best songs on the album, but then because it's full of hooks and like the guitar and the percussion are going, giving it loads, and then about after about one and a half minutes, it goes into this sort of quiet acoustic bit. Uh, where they say you were you elude me you you def, def you elate me definitely uh, it's a bit silly but it only does that for about thirty seconds then it goes back to the song proper and I feel yeah. like with with you and look at me on you okay we'll just get rid of the silly little bit in the middle and just play yes. the song straight yeah. again I'll be late for tea and what's yeah. it for which a bit more you know the the band are good the drummer well, some, I, thought, I thought I'll be late for tea it was was quite Hollyzy yeah. The drummer and the bass player are really good. And uh, again, I'll be late for tea is a little bit sort of 1966 The Who, which which, which I love, as we've discussed before on earlier episodes. And uh, when they're just playing the straightforward, like I say, the, with the band rocking, the bass player's really good. It, I like it. You know, it's it's the, there's some mm. good drum breaks on it. A bit yeah. um, quite Ringo, quite... Um, some of the drum breaks remind me a bit of Forever Changes by Love. but um, Yes, yes. Um, yeah, I just wish they'd stick to that a bit more. Uh, <laughs> well, I think the most love-sounding song is is the one that's my favourite, which is "I'll Bring You This and That." Um, I thought it, the vocals on that particularly sound sound like Arthur Lee. Um, and I'll I'll bring you love on Monday, every day, and Sunday, which is you know yeah. good accurate detailing of, of days. Um, and uh, yeah, you should you should read some new books, which is always good advice. He's in that yeah. song as well, but that's probably my favourite on it on the it's album. Got some good. Uh, the, I like the uh, the riff at the start, the guitar riff at the start, and the la la la's. I got to say, over the course of the whole song, it doesn't really sustain my interest. That one, yeah. And then you've got the the the, the sort of slower ones, um, which are a bit more sort of baroque pop, I guess. Which had me thinking back to some of those Bee Gees albums we've covered on this podcast. Well, that's um, not good, is it? Which were patchy, uh, yes, at best. Um, and I just thought that, so if you use the example Love Is, for example, which has got lots yeah. of strings on it, 
Uh, and it's a bit, yeah, it's like one of the more forgettable songs on those BG albums. Um, yeah, and it would be. It would, I also was thinking, well, the the song's all right. It could be rescued, uh, or or certainly be a lot better if it had a sort of slightly more distinctive or vocalist, like you know, the Walker Brothers or somebody like that who could give it a bit more drama. Mm. Um, yeah, and the, and the other slow, there's another slow one as well, isn't there? A slower one. Mr. Watchmaker, which is, is just, yeah. I just find them a bit boring, if I'm honest. Did you think the beginning of that was, was ripped off the monkeys? I'm assuming, I'm assu- I'm, I can't remember the timeline here, but uh, when did, uh, you know that bit where you've got little Davey talking about, don't pick on me, I'm short, and all that n- nonsense at the beginning? Right, yeah. Uh, I don't know if that would have been before Mr. Watchmaker, because they've got a similar sort of, uh, coughing, a bit of coughing and daft talk at the beginning of this. Oh. I wonder if that had ripped that off. Uh, well, I don't my, know. my my croaky voice and occasional coughing could be. Uh, uh, let's just say I'm I'm just doing that deliberately as an homage to this album. Yeah. <laughs> um, we should talk before before we we move on. We should definitely talk about uh, Mrs. Murphy's Budgerigar because if nothing else, um, and I know you are very pedantic about lyrics that make mm-hmm. sense. Um, this is about a bird. Yes. Uh, Mrs. Murphy's Budgerigar uh, uh, and wondering should that bird have a bus. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I can't see, frankly, how a budgerigar can uh, drive a bus. But um, also mentions the budgerigar running away. Now, I would suggest that that is not the best form of escape for a bird to make. That's quite true, yeah. But it, it seems to me that the lyrics are a bit like, uh, you know, it's, they're, they're adverts in the window of a local newsagent or something like that. Because there's, there's, ah. But Mrs Murphy's budgerigar is lost, so there's a lost pet advert there. And then there's a, the next part, the next verse, there's a... There's a advert for a pram for sale uh, and there's a train set being sold as well um, oh. it's catchy tune that one out of this sort of, um, the sort of slightly daft Noel Cowardy ones it's not as Noel Cowardy it's not sung in the silly posh voice that one is it um, no, no. but um, it's got really nice um, two part harmony throughout the whole thing and out of the whole album yeah. that is the one that I found myself kind of getting stuck in my head that one and the, right. and the silly little frozen dog one those yeah. are the ones that got stuck in my head a lot. Yeah, I mean, I think the album is is is, is full of influences, isn't it? When I mean, we mentioned the Beatles, I think the, the Kinks and the Who. I mean, all all the big '60s bands. I think you can hear at various points um, throughout the album. Yeah, um, the, the, there's quite a lot of Revolver influence on it, isn't there? Absolutely, especially, yeah. especially yeah. on the first couple of songs. I, I thought, what's it for? I quite like that one. I like the lyrics. Although I don't, it, it, they're very, again, they're very 1967. I will read you a part of it. Uh, what's it for? The mere existence of a door is something to be grateful for. And after all, what can I do but hope that all our love was true, as I feel now? No asking questions this time. Uh, as I feel now, I wonder what's it for. No, I wonder how what's it for existed and open doors resisted. So I won't question all the love that I make. Um, well, yeah. That doesn't make yeah. much I, I don't think me. that's written without some sort of uh, chemical influence. Exactly. And um, it's, it's not a bad song because, I, I, as you say, I, I quite like the, there's a brass bit on that, but brass riff, which is pretty neat, and the cello, I think, sounds really good. Um, I, I really hate the goonsy type intro to it. Um, but yeah, but I, again, the song itself's all right. I, 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 there's little sort of, you know, you mean the little five second, ten second bursts of conversation, but before quite a lot of yeah. the songs, yeah, I could do with like without all of those myself. They're, yeah, they're, they're pointless. Yeah. 
Well, some of them I thought were quite funny, but this this one was was, was annoying. Do you think that one um, uh, on this start side too, where it's just going introduction words? Is that someone pastiching Bob Dylan? Do you think? You've got to think so, haven't yeah. you? Yeah, that, that was at the beginning of the of uh, what on earth, isn't it? Yeah. I think the, um, the, the nadir of the album is probably the intrepid balloonist's <laughs> handbook, volume one. Thank goodness there's not <laughs> volume two, um, which is the, where they reach peak silly Edwardian music hall. Uh, it is vaudeville, it, isn't it, really? It is. Uh, just it, and it, 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 the song is, the narrator is inviting his girl into a hot, on a hot air trip um, mm. and saying ominously, don't be afraid. Um, you, you won't fall out and then <laughs> inevitably um, it doesn't go well it gets more and more silly as it goes along and it says my dear you're floating to the sky you seem to be going ever so high I cannot hold this horrid rope oh gosh I don't think there's any hope <laughs> really you're going ever so high Felicity I'll never be able to reach you now which they obviously yeah. think is such a funny joke that they yeah. put it in twice on the album uh, it, yeah. it, it's, it's barely funny enough for one inclusion, and it's certainly not funny enough to, for two. <laughs> um, well, yeah, the, the, the last track, the track for Speedy Freaks, which I, I guess that if you were speeding or freaking out on speed, might be more interesting, was, you know, with the backwards piano and vocals, and, and when it goes forwards, it is just a, a reprise of, of the song that we I, don't really like. I think it's just a sound collage, because it's got elements of lots mm. and lots of bits of the album, so I think it's just a sound oh, collage yeah, that they've made from lots and other bits of the album all mashed together. Yeah, not uh, a great album. No, no, but it's, again, very of its time. That's the kind of thing people did in 1967, yeah. isn't it, as we've learned from this, uh, from this uh, podcast. But I, 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 obviously, I didn't know this album uh, before I, I was aware of the list, um, but I have I have put the remarkable saga of the frozen dog on a number of of compilations that I've made since then. I think it's a, it fits in quite nicely as a daft little song. So there is that to take away from it. Um, and I think I'll bring you this and that. I would I would perhaps do something with that as well. Yeah, um, I mean I I, I, I like um, the, my probably my favourite is um, uh, the the remarkable saga of the um, of the frozen dog, which is probably the only song I found. Um, good enough that I will ever consider going back to listen to it again, I think. The song You Would Be My Favourite of the whole album, if it didn't have that sort of slower bit in the middle, um, mm. it doesn't fit with the rest of the song to my ears. Um, yeah. uh, the playing is, you know, is, is generally really good. Like I say, the bass, bass, drums and guitar, when they stick to that kind of who-ish type sound, I, I do like it. Yeah. I'm much less keen on the people of the Royal Parks and the the more baroque stuff, and, and and certainly the the bits that sound like Eric Idle um, doing isn't it awfully yeah. nice to have a penis and all that. Um, <laughs> but what's it for is pretty good, and I really like Mrs. Yeah. Murphy's Budgerigar. Um, yeah. But overall, yeah, it's, it's, I, I probably will maybe go back and listen to the dog one again. But other than that, I won't go back and listen. Okay. To it. So are we giving it a number now? Are you going to give it a number? Yeah, I'm going to give it a four. Yeah, well, I, I, I mean, I was thinking about around four, but I'm going to give it a 4.5. The 0.5 bonus being really for the lyrics, because I do quite like some of the lyrics. Yeah. Okay, fair, fair enough. Okay, right. so then we're on to The Savage Resurrection, who oh, yeah. are uh, a band from Richmond, California, just across the bay from San Francisco. Uh, they are Bill Harper on vocals, Randy Hammond on guitar, uh, which the, the the two guitars are, you, are in the stereo are split 
Um, so Randy Hammond's generally on the left, in the left channel, and John Palmer on the other guitar is generally mixed into the right channel. Steve Lark, or Steve Lake, on bass a guitar. Jeff Meyer on drums. I think one of the most remarkable things about this band uh, compared to their contemporaries in, in, in California in the mid to late 60s is that these guys were incredibly young. Uh, mm -hmm. Randy Hammond was only 16. Steve Lake was the kind of granddad of the band. He's the only one who wasn't a teenager. He was 21. Uh, they released one album, this album, their self-titled album, on Mercury Records, produced by a guy called Abe Kesh, who also produced uh, Blue Cheer, it says here. And apparently Blue Cheer's drummer Paul Whaley is the cousin of uh, Savage Resurrection's teenage guitarist Randy Hammond. Described on the Wikipedia page as being similar to Jimi Hendrix and Love, I can mm. hear the Jimi Hendrix bit a little bit. Mm. Um, I'm not sure I can hear much, any, any really, of, of Love, other than they're from California and they were around in the same time period. I think they do sound quite a lot like Blue Cheer. I, d I don't know Blue Cheer at all, really. I thought Blue Cheer were the ones who did the original of Venus, but that's shocking blue, I think, I've discovered this week. No, uh, uh, I mean, that's sort of a proto-heavy metal band, Blue Cheer, I would say. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's pretty much all of it blues rock. Uh, Your favourite? Yeah, a, a, a musical genre I have very little time for and bores me rigid. Um, so um, there's a couple of songs where they're slightly less blues. I mean, to give, give you an example, there's one song that's eight minutes long. It's called Jammin'. I'm, mm. I mean, I'm already con concerned, I mean, just by the title. Because one thing well, I don't yeah. like is bands that just, oh, yeah, we just jam, man. Um, you say you say it's eight minutes long. I, I think you'll find it's at least 20 minutes long. Yeah, yeah. And it's a, it is a proper slow electric blues with, with the opening line repeated two times while the night times been crying when you're hurt by your baby. Uh, and then it goes off into self-indulgent uh, <laughs> dual electric guitar, lead guitar playing. Yeah, uh, the Yawnbirds I wrote down here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's there's quite a lot like that. There's quite a lot yeah. of it is like that. Um, Appeal to the Happy is basically... Johnny Be Good by Chuck Berry. Uh, it's got, it is, yeah. It's got different words, but it's the same tempo, it's the same chords, and it's the same vocal yeah. melody. Yeah. And there's a bit in it where they finish a verse and, and the lyrics go, Johnny's going to sock a little lick to you, so come on, everybody, get up and groove. Well, no thank you, Johnny. Uh, <laughs> no thank you. Now, see, that, that is a, a song that is only three minutes long, and, and yet that outstays its welcome. Yeah, yeah, the, the, they have, of course, the obligatory, for 1968, the obligatory sort of Eastern-themed uh, song, which is oh, yes. Tahitian melody. Yes, so yes. I suppose if you go far enough east from California, you will get to Tahitian. <laughs> It'd be much good well, to, to go west, but uh, um, which at least is a little bit more musically interesting than the rest. Um, that's more Hendrixy, isn't it, that one? Um, well, it, it, again, it depends. Is, is there any Hendrix? On, on Pollard's list. I don't think there is, is there? No. That's no. a curious omission, really, given the time frame of all these albums. I mean, mm. I like Hendrix when he's doing The Wind Cries Mary and Little Wing and things like that. Slow when, he's, one. when he's writing mm. no, proper songs. Proper songs. Mm. When he's doing Red House and all that kind of mm. stuff, it, it's, it's just the electric blues and I'm not really that interested. Yeah, I, I watch him, watch videos of him playing it, but actually to choose to listen to it, 
Uh, I'm less interested in that. I like, you know, like the ones which are actually proper songs that move a little bit further away from just being three chord blues. Yeah, um, yeah. But um, there's not enough on this album for my taste. There's not, if I'm honest, there's not enough on some Jimi Hendrix albums that veers away from that um, yeah. to, to really grab my attention. But um, the, on on this, I mean, the Tahitian one, yeah, I mean, the, the, at least it's not blues sort of stuff. Um but um, the chorus, they've, they've thought really hard about what the words for the chorus, where they've got written a chorus where the, where the lyrics go, mm, 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 mm. Um, well, we know bands have had hits with that sort of thing. Yeah, every little song is... I thought that I, I, every little song was better than the most because at least it's kind of a bit of a rock-pop song. Um, and and it's, the, the guitar solo is all right. Um, but mainly... I, I thought that one was... That one was... That that every little song I thought was a reminiscent of uh, early Mothers of Invention, and I know you're a huge Zappa fan, um, so that's that's probably why you uh, you enjoyed that one. Yeah, um, yeah, that's sarcasm, isn't it? It is a little bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the one, that, the only one that I thought, because I, I I saw that it was described as being you know influenced or, or sounding a little bit like Love, and I don't I agree with you that it, I don't think it does. The, the only the only song that perhaps has a little bit of that in terms of uh, it being a bit more melodic um, is someone's changing. That's 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 for me the the best song on it. Um, that sounds more like a, a sort of sixties garage sound uh, rather than blues. Um, and I thought the the guitar solo on that was was pretty good as well. So that that was the one song I, I thought, yeah, that's all right. I'd, I'd listen to that one again. Yeah, I mean, it's it's I like the ending of that where there's the feedback and then the, there's that really fast hi hat playing. Uh, which is you know just breaks it up a bit. It's at least it's kind of a proper song. Uh, yeah, yeah. Again, right. the lyrics are pretty dull as they are on the whole album. Really, you have changed. You're not the same. You're rearranged. I'm going insane. Uh, it's yeah. It, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, you know, sixteen. Presumably, there's right sixteen writing the lyrics. There's not much to refer to, is there? I, I guess not. Life, I life guess experience. Not. Um, I mean, um, I, but, I, I get the feeling. I'll, that, I'll throw back at you that Paul Weller wrote in the city when he was seventeen. I, I think. Okay, that's a year later. So, yeah. You know. Okay. Yeah. Just imagine what this band would have been like a year later. Yeah. Um, if they would have been allowed to record another one. Um, actually, yeah, they they, uh, they do have a version of um, of River Deep Mountain High, uh, which is which is pretty good actually. It's 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 uh, it's much more um, punky. Than, than bluesy, it's not as good obviously as the the Saints cover version of that, but it's it, that of that ilk. So you know, they, I think that came out after the album, and then they 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 split up. Um, I get the feeling, and and correct me if I'm wrong, that, that neither of us really like this album very much. No, um, no, I've, but, got some, I've got some more reasons why I don't like it as well. Because okay, well, before you give us those, let me let me just let me just throw this into the ring because uh, again, I've got this on CD rather than on LP. I think the LP is probably quite expensive, um, and the liner notes uh, written by Nick Solomon Solomon uh, out of uh, Bevis Front, mm. and let's let's see what he makes of this album. See what you think, because we both quite like some of his stuff. You, I mean, he writes about QPR, doesn't he? So in one song, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is what Nick Solomon says about this, this album. He says, it's 1968. Imagine, if you can, the coolest record shop in the neighbourhood, Manzies of Swiss Cottage. Are you familiar with that? No. no. OK. Uh, a gateway to dreams squeezed between toys, toys, toys and the golden egg. 
A trio of 15-year-old proto-freaks make their weekly pilgrimage to buy a new album for their syndicate. Pooling their resources, they have just enough for one psychedelic album a week. Very democratically and in strict rotation, they each buy an album of their own personal choice. That sounds pretty cool, doesn't it? I like that idea. Um, Last week, Kev, the albino kid, went for the first ultimate spinach. Are you familiar? No. Okay. The week before that, his tall, blonde mate Mick nabbed Crown of Creation. This week, it's the youngest kid's choice. He's immediately attracted by a very psychedelic sleeve at the front of the new stock rack, Savage Resurrection. Great name. And they look dead freaky. They've got really long hair. Oh, and it's produced by Abe Vokovesh, and he did Vincibus Eruptum. So it must be good. The kid doesn't even need to listen to it. He buys it straight away. 30 years later, that same kid is writing a foreword to this reissue. He still loves the record, the demented dual lead guitar excursions, the feedback, the punky voices, the wah-wah, and that very far-out sleeve. These days, he earns a living by making a noise largely influenced by that record and its brothers and sisters, and he hasn't forgotten the debt of gratitude he owes the Savage Resurrection. So there you go, shows what we know. I mean, fair fair enough. Um, He likes it, but read me that bit again about the dual guitars. What does he say about that? The dual guitars, he says, uh, demented, demented dual lead guitar excursions. Right. What I think is interesting about that, but in my opinion, not good, is that you've got, if if you're going to have two lead guitar players, obviously Tom Verlaine died the other day, right? So I've been Mm. listening, an album I I listen to anyway, but I've been listening quite a lot to um, television. Mm. And there's two lead guitars and quite a lot of that. If you are going to have two lead guitars... You can't just have both people going off and doing their own thing without listening to what the other one is doing. It doesn't. Isn't that jazz? Well, even in jazz, you wouldn't have two electric lead guitars soloing at the same time. You'd mm. have one. You know, you, most of the time in jazz, only only one person solos at the same time, because mm. if one person is improvising and going off on one, and the other person is also doing it, there's just too much going on for the ear. And it sounds very much to me like neither of the guitarists was listening to what the other one was doing or paying attention to what the other one was doing. So if you're going to do that, then just take it in turns. You know, do a bit of a solo and then the other one does a bit of a solo like the Beatles did on the, at the end of Abbey Road. They do that very well. I don't know if there's an ego thing as well, but the 16-year-old, his guitar is significantly louder than the other guy's guitar all the way through. So, yeah, they're just not listening to each other. I mentioned before on this podcast that I work in in education with kids, in music education with kids, and the first thing you teach them when you're playing music together is to listen to what the other people are doing. And this this band, particularly the two guitarists, don't seem to be doing that. (laughs) And it's detrimental to the overall effect, in my opinion. Right, well, I'm I'm sorry to them, but I agree with you and and not Nick Solomon. Um, I'm I'm giving this album, and, and, you know, one song I quite like, but the rest of it I I have absolutely no need to ever hear again. Um, I'm giving it a three. Okay. Well, there's, there's really very little about this that I liked. So I'm really struggling. Um, but I'm going to give half a point to the song Every Little Thing for being less than two minutes long. I'm going to give <laughs> half a point to Someone's Changing for the fast hi-hat bit and the guitar feedback bit at the end, where, yeah. as you said, they went a bit garage. I like that. Yeah. And I'm going to yeah. give half a point for the Tahitian song for basically not being the blues. So <laughs> that gives it one and a half points in total. And right. I, I, I honestly think, given the likelihood of me ever wanting to listen to this, any of this ever again, 
That yes. one and a half is probably me being overly generous there. <laughs> well, I mean, that does sound, to be fair, like it's the worst album you've listened to, or the one you've liked the least um, in this whole series. Well, it, well, you, it I is. think you like this one less than the GTOs. Um, I think the lowest score I've given so far was uh, I gave the, the GTOs three and a half, and I gave uh, the Van Dyke Parks one free. In fact, we both gave mm. the Van Dyke Parks one free. Um, you gave the GTOs a lower score than me, you gave it two. So, yeah, this is comfortably the lowest uh, scored album I've, I've, mm. I've, we've reviewed. Um, and mm. what did you say you were giving it? I, I, I said three, which sounds remarkably generous now. So but, that's uh, a little bit more than you gave the GTOs and the same oh, as you yeah. gave to Van Dyke Parks. Van, Van Dyke Parks has got some things in it, even though I didn't particularly like it, but I, mm. I admire the innovation. And there's loads <laughs> of innovation in that album. Um, there's no yeah. innovation in this. <laughs> um, and, and the GTOs, uh, there was a few songs, despite all the um, inappropriateness of, of some of it, and, and that makes you feel a bit uncomfortable. It's significantly yeah. better than this because there are actually some good songs on it. Let, let's hope next time uh, we, we find something that you, you don't hate listening to. Uh, hopefully, they'll improve your mood about the, the whole thing. Uh, I, I should tell you what's on the next one, should I? Yes, please. Um, yeah. It's actually a little bit different from what we've done before because uh, this is the first tape in Pollard's list where he only has the name of the band. He doesn't have a particular album. Um, and that kind of makes sense because the two bands that we're going to feature don't really have set albums. There's a lot of singles and there's a lot of compilations. So uh, we're going to be listening to uh, selected tracks um, from the late sixties, which fits in with the, the sort of the time span that we're, we're considering here, um, selected tracks from Wimple Winch and Keith West. Uh, so, although Keith West, you might might know from bands like Tomorrow, uh, we're not going to be listening to Tomorrow stuff. We're only listening to the Keith West solo recordings or recordings under his own name. Um, and Wimple Winch, uh, again, we're, we're only considering songs under that particular name so it's about about an hour and a half's worth of stuff but no, not a fixed album okay i'll be taking yeah yeah but before now, we before go, we go you, you sent you me those. a challenge didn't you on the last episode. i did i did i asked you to think about song well this is this is following on from our dylan pod where we we didn't have the track love minus zero over no limit which is uh on Highway 61, is it? And uh, but nevertheless, we mentioned it, and and I said, look, oh look, it's a it's a mathematical equation as a song title, love minus zero, divided by no limit. And I said to you, can you think of any other song titles that are basically mathematic equations? And you said, yes, I'll go and think about it. And here you are, having thought about it. What yeah. have you got? Well, I straight away said E equals MC squared by Big Red Dynamite, and yeah. I also put it to you that um, the Talking Heads song off the first album, Love then greater than sign building on fire um, is is kind of an equation when it's written down, although the song is is definitely called Love Comes to a Building on Fire. Yeah. Um, so I've had a think. I came up with um, some some which are definitely mathematical equations and some that are probably not. Um, okay. Okay. So uh, I've got, um, from my favourite pavement album, uh, Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain, five takeaway four equals unity. Yeah, uh, unity being one, so that is that's correct. That, that is correct. That's a very good example. Yeah, excellent uh, example. Radiohead's maths is incorrect on the opening track to "Hail to the Thief," 
when they say two add two equals five. Okay, but poor th- attempt. I think that might be, um, you know, um, I think that might be a Orwell reference, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Slipknot, of course. Uh, <laughs> the singer at Slipknot went to Rome to see the Pope, but um, one of their most famous song, I think, uh, one of their most famous songs, certainly one of the very few I've heard of, is called People Equals Shit. Ah. Yeah. Um, distance equals rate times time. It's uh, off Trump Le Mans by Pixies. Yeah, nice. um, add it up by the Violent Femmes. Are we having that one? No, 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 that's not an equation. No. That's uh, just been struck. What about that? Yeah, yeah, modification. That's the name of the game. I think it's Bobby Darren or something like that. We're not, I'm not having that either. I've got a couple of more that you, got, you haven't I've mentioned. I've got some more. Hang on. Uh, Chris Christopherson from his brilliant, brilliant, brilliant first album, uh, The Junkie and the Juicehead Minus Me. Uh, mm. yeah, kind of. Um, mm. uh, Burt Bacharach died a couple of days ago, so I've been listening to the Elvis Costello and Burt Bacharach album uh, very frequently recently. The Long Division, off that. No, that's not, that's, no, that's not yeah. an equation. About less than zero, mm. off the first album. Less than zero? <laughs> Everything means less than zero. That's kind nah, of an equation, isn't it? Nah. Yeah, there's, a, there's a less than sign in there. Um, <laughs> all right. Um, heck at 100, love plus one. Yes, I'll give you that. Okay, but that's not an, that's not equation. equation. It is. needs a comparative element in it. Well, yeah. love minus zero divided by no limit doesn't have an equals. No, okay, so that's not an equation either, the one we started off with. <laughs> okay. So we, you've basically undermined the whole task at this point. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, um, gonna... how, about, how about Joy Division? Just everything by Joy Division. Joy Long Division. The power. Pa- power of love. No, no, no. He's, you're, he's, you're... he's multiplying things to the power of love. Or fight, no, I'm not attempting any of this. Fight the power, public enemy. <laughs> People have the power. No, stop throwing power at me. No, <laughs> none of those. That's none of those. all I could think of. Well, I, I think you've done okay, but but I think I think you've uh, you've been scraping the bottom of the barrel there a little oh, bit. Dear. I've got four plus twenty by Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. Oh, I don't that's know that. But we're, we're doing them soon, aren't we? On this podcast. Yeah, I think that's okay. on the album as well. Okay, yeah, so you'll, you'll okay, hit that. It's not an equation. It's just a, well, there's no equals bit, but there's no equals bit. Don't don't. If you keep going on like need, that, the whole thing becomes ridiculous. You need an equals or a greater than or a less than sign for it to. But be we haven't equation. got that. We've got love minus zero over no limit is our starting point, which doesn't have either of those. Well, things. then you were wrong to call it an equation. <laughs> if you if you're I'm not taking this, I'm not taking this criticism from a man who shouts the power of love if as you, an example. If you're listening of the to this and you know anything about maths and you can decide whether or not what I'm saying is wrong or right, <laughs> then please drop yeah. us a line. Well, I've got two more before we before we give up. Go ahead, uh, and, and and you won't like either of them uh, because they don't have a, a full sum. Uh, I mean, seven and seven is. Well, seven and seven is what? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a great song, but uh, it's yeah, okay. That, that's a good one. I thought, and two divided by zero by the Pet Shop Boys. Okay, I don't know that one, but um, yeah, it, you can't divide by zero. Well, you get infinity, don't you? No, you just can't do it. I think you get infinity. No, uh, and I would like all our mathematical listeners to send to send in you, you uh, their information. You just can't do it, I think. And you go, if, you can, if you know about this thing, can you divide by zero? <laughs> um, or is it, if you divide by zero, do you get infinity? Or is it just impossible to divide, to divide by zero? And, and equally, while you're, while you're writing in, if, if you would like more of these 
sorts of discussions, please let us know. Oh, or indeed, if you have any more um, equations in song to share with us, then yeah. uh, we, we look forward to hearing from you. Yeah. Good. Don't forget to listen to Scott Parks. Robert Pollard's Guide to the Late 60s is a Trust the Wizards production. You can find out more at pollard60s.com and on Twitter at pollard60s. If you liked it, then please subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts. You may also enjoy their other podcast, which you can find at trustthewizards.com. Original music by the Malibu Storks. Kika Revelves and Chorizo Garbanzo are currently appearing in Waiting for Godot at the Mail Theatre in Leeds.